The following is a production of Natural Bliss Podcast for a better quality of life. Welcome to It's Your Life. I'm your host, Joyce Wheeler, and today I have with me Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge. She is the founder and director of Dr. Roseanne and Associates and originator of the 360 Reboot Intensive Therapies Program. Her center is known for offering expert-level integrative mental health support, and she has more than 25 years working with children, teens, and adults and parents. She answered a calling to be a psychologist and currently has integrative centers in Ridgefield and Newton, Connecticut, where the focus is on providing clinically valid holistic therapies, such as neurofeedback, biofeedback, counseling, and assessment for a variety of issues and conditions. After seeing individuals and families suffer through unsuccessful attempts at traditional therapies, Dr. Roseanne became passionate about using highly effective research based clinical therapies to alleviate stress and suffering, bringing children and adults to a point of wellness. Dr. Roseanne is a well-respected BCN practitioner who is a popular and sought-after speaker and co-author of the best-selling book, Brain Under Attack, a resource guide about PANS, PANDAS. She is an expert in several areas, including anxiety, anxiety-related disorders, ADHD, autism, executive functioning, dyslexia, and other reading disabilities. Learning disabilities, Lyme and tick-borne disease, PANS PANDAS, concussion, post-concussion syndrome, pediatric mental health, and parent coaching. Dr. Roseanne is a Connecticut certified school psychologist, a licensed professional counselor, certified integrative medicine mental health provider, and a board-certified neurofeedback provider. Dr. Roseanne serves on the boards of the Northeast Regional Biofeedback Society and Epidemic Answers, and it is the Lyme Connection Task Force Professional Advisor. Dr. Roseanne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Joyce. This is a very interesting topic. It's something, some of this is some stuff that I have never heard about. Can you please tell our listening audience how you got started in this field? Sure. So, you know, as you had said in your lovely intro, thank you. I have been working in mental health for 25 years and, or 20, actually 28 this year. And, and I started out working with children and I've worked in different capacities in psychiatric hospitals with substance abusers. I did in-home therapy. I've worked in schools and now I just do private practice work and consult with other organizations. But I started working, you know, with more you know, the bulk of our practice, or I should say a large part of our practice, anywhere from a third to a half of our practice at any given point has people who have mental health issues that result from infectious disease. And I started working with complex cases pretty early on. I have been working with people afflicted uh, with Lyme disease for more than 22 years. And when you work with complex cases, and what does that mean? Cases that have layers. So, you know, I get a child who has, you know, ADHD and sensory processing issues, problems with controlling their mood, skin issues, 
eczema, you know, a list of things, right? They're not just walking in the door, they're unfocused, there's a complexity. So since I always took on those kind of cases, you really started to see the connection between physical health and mental health. Sounds like a, a notion or common sense approach we should take to mental health all the time, but it isn't the predominant view. What happens in mental health is they think that everything's biochemical. And that just isn't the case. So as I was working with, with children with these complexities, pretty much every kid I ever worked with didn't respond to med medications, psychiatric medications. So medications for ADHD and anxiety and depression. And, you know, I would have a kid with autism who was anxious or had OCD and they would put them on med medications. And often there would be uh, a variety of adverse reactions to the medications that would be outweigh any benefits that the person was seeing. So the person would be focused, more focused, but their anxiety would go through the roof. You know, that's not a winning combination. So with that approach, what I started to notice is that, you know, I do live in the Northeast and in Connecticut, we're, where Lyme disease is named after Lyme, Connecticut, we're in the top 14 areas that Lyme disease is really in what's called endemic. And it really, it's at a very high level, but Lyme disease is everywhere in the US and on every continent except Antarctica. And there isn't a country where Lyme, you know, tick-borne illness doesn't exist. So my first case was 22 years ago, working with somebody in a school system, and it just really blew my mind of what this person was exhibiting. They were exhibiting anxiety, pervasive sweating, difficulty focusing, sensory sensitivities. And I think that most people would have said that the boy was autistic, but came in with a diagnosis of chronic Lyme disease. And I'm sure at this point had other tick-borne illnesses. And from that point on, it just opened up. You can't work with somebody and, and not change your viewpoint, right? So because we're in an area where people are so impacted, I just started to see more and more cases um, and realized you had to support people for multiple modalities, support them with their physical health. You know, somebody who has OCD or depression or anxiety from a tick-borne illness isn't going to get better with a psych med. They need treatment for the underlying issue, which is infectious disease. And so I would love to say things have dramatically changed in the last 20 years and that we're getting much, much better at identifying and supporting these individuals, children, adults, but we're not. And a big part of what I'm doing, which is, you know, I co-authored this book with these lovely ladies, Brain Under Attack from the, my fellow board members from Epidemic Answers. But also just professionally, I've spent a lot of time doing things to train other professionals. It's part of why I'm doing these podcasts is I want people to be aware of is that there can be physical sources of mental health issues and infectious disease is just one of them. So that's how I got really involved. It was really my clients that drove me to open my eyes to this and really just become uh, part of who I am and helping people at a deeper level, really get into the root cause. Right. And I agree with you that a lot of the uh, mental issues we're dealing with are due to physical issues. Mm -hmm. And you were talking, you mentioned um, the, the, t the ticks, Lyme disease. 
Mm-hmm. And I know various people who have Lyme disease and also listened to a health summit where they had said that if you didn't catch it, like in the very beginning, there was nothing you could do. Is that the truth? That, that, is, not, that is not the truth. Here's what I want to say about tick-borne illness, Lyme disease, right? Because ticks carry more than just Lyme. They carry dozens, if not hundreds of different types of bacteria. They carry parasites. So let's get the facts straight about Lyme disease. So there's early stage Lyme disease and there's late stage Lyme disease. And early stage is when a tick bites you and transmits their bacteria. They, as soon as a tick bites you, it empties the contents of their stomach into you. A tick does not have to be engorged. So let me say that again. A tick does not have to be engorged to transmit infectious disease, okay? So it's one of the biggest fallacies, right? And through research, you know, we know that upwards of 90% of ticks carry infectious disease. So if you get bit, you have a really strong chance of getting infectious disease. So early stage Lyme disease, when the tick bites you and you're in that early stage, it hasn't moved into late stage, which can really cause neurological issues, physical issues. You can go into late stage Lyme disease, the research shows us as little as in two weeks. We don't know enough about infectious disease to say, why does one person get late state Lyme Lyme disease and another person doesn't? Everyone has their own bio-individual imprint. And so there's genetic components in that. There's nutrient components. There's permeability of the brain blood-brain barrier. So there's a lot of factors why one person gets bitten and doesn't get chronically ill. So the other part of the issue is there's a belief there's not ever a way to really identify if you have a tick-borne illness. Well, that's not really true either. Do we have perfect measures? No, but we have some excellent private labs doing some really good work in identifying uh, tick-borne illness. And so the other part of this is that, is there a cure? We do not have one thing that cures tick-borne illness, Lyme disease. So some people, depending on when it's caught, early stage versus Lyme, late stage, that has a huge impact. Once you're in a late stage Lyme disease, is it much harder to eradicate, cure, whatever you want to say, the, the phrase, absolutely it's much harder. Tick-borne illness is probably one of our, if not most genetically complex bacteria on the planet. It has been around since the time of Columbus. And uh, through research, they've identified it as as coming along with Columbus on the ships at, at that point. And it really knows how to survive. And it comes in three different forms. And they have these, if you ever really look up, like look up what the bacteria looks like on Google, you'll, you'll be completely freaked out. You know, the bacteria has these little screw-in mechanisms and they can screw inside the cell and really harbor inside a cell and wreak a lot of havoc in the brain and body. The, the question becomes in our earlier, you know, my earlier statement is why does one person, you know, get really sick and another person doesn't? It's the same thing with how people respond to treatment. Everybody has their own genetic makeup. And so some of us have genetic mutations, you know, 50% of the population has a genetic mutation called M. 
T H F R, and it inter it's um you lack an enzyme in your ability to utilize the B vitamins, and that affects you in a, a lot of ways. But the two most common ways is with B12 impacting the nervous system, and the other way is with with folate, and folate is required for detoxification. So you're you struggle with detoxifying and in chronic disease states, well, in every state, <laughs> you need proper detoxification. But if you have a chronic disease and especially bacteria like Lyme, you're not able to clear it in the same way. So some people can't clear the disease, right? And we're understanding that detoxification support, which is very complex, is a huge, huge part of healing. So Absolutely, there are some people that have chronic disease states, Lyme, PANS, and they have levels of functionality where they're maybe at 90%. And there's a lot of work that goes on behind that. I'll talk about that lifestyle changes. But it, it can be cured in people. I have seen people who haven't had any symptoms, but it's really, really hard to say with our current diagnostics is it really gone? Is it really there? I mean, when they've done research, they did research in Bologna, Italy with school children, and they looked at neurotypical school children with no issues, right? No known cases of Lyme, and 25% of them were carrying tick-borne bacteria. So with no symptom. So this is what's happening. We don't know is it possible if something broke the blood-brain barrier and that then that affection would go into the brain? Yeah, it is possible. So we don't know enough about it. There's not enough money being put into Lyme disease, tick-borne illness research, which is crazy. But I do know people who've been cured, and I know people who function at a really high level with a lot of lifestyle changes, you know, high-quality food, really stress management, sleep, proper sleep, detoxification, and, you know, just altering the way that they live so that they're just really focused on a healthy, healthy lifestyle. So what are some of the early symptoms that you see with Lyme disease? Great question. And, and, so, and also, I'm sorry, and also, yeah. are they, they common symptoms? Because the, the, you're talking, mm -hmm. and it, you know, it sounds very similar to like mercury poisoning, mercury oh. poisoning, people deal, you know, uh, certain sure. symptoms come out and others don't have those symptoms. So it's very vast. Do we see the same thing yes. with Lyme? Yes, absolutely. So common is important. So in early stage and, and late stage Lyme disease, there can be a crossover of the same symptoms. But in early stage, you know, most people think you have to have a rash. That is not true. And the research says as little as 12 or as much as 37% have a bullseye rash. Um, so a bullseye rash is not super, super common. And it depends on your bacteria. So like lurichiosis is a common bacteria. Um, and what will happen is people who get lurichiosis get a high fever. So you're blessed when you get a high fever or a spirochete, you know, a, um, a spiral rash, a bullseye. So because you can get treatment. So those early stages can be, you know, these sudden symptoms, a horrible headache, chronic fatigue, sudden onset OCD, 
things that you just don't, you, you know, you're not feeling right. You know, your kid all of a sudden is just sleeping or has a fever of unknown origin, which is tough to pinpoint with a kid because a virus can cause uh, a fever and, you know, it doesn't mean you have Lyme disease. So in later stage Lyme, again, which can happen is two weeks here. Here's the hard part. This is where just exactly what you said, Joyce, that with mercury poisoning, there can be a vast array of symptoms. So let's talk about the most common. So the most common can be a gradual or a waxing and waning and up and down of any of these symptoms. And I think that's really important. It doesn't mean it's going to happen two weeks. It could be six months later. It could be a year later. And that's the hard part to make the connection. Okay. So most common, increased anxiety increased brain fog increased and brain what's brain fog you know you're just it's like it's like not having slept for three nights and you're you're functioning but your brain is having a hard time retrieving words or being focused you just not on top of your game and there's real no reason for it right and especially with the gradual onset of brain fog people may miss that unless it's profound. Like I've had people who are like, oh my God, I couldn't even remember my cousin's name or you know, they, these real word retrieval difficulties. Not as common until later. That's more of when that happens. You can have a sudden onset of OCD. Um, and you may have had, and this is really, really a huge, huge point that I try to make whenever I speak. You can have a prior history of any of these things. What you're looking for, particularly with a PANS, PANDAS diagnosis, we'll talk about that, is an exacerbation, an increase in these symptoms. So you may have a child with autism who had some level of anxiety, but all of a sudden their anxiety is through the roof. Again, you're blessed if they have a fever or a rash, but that's not always the most common thing. So other, you know, anxiety, depression, fatigue, you know, and it can be physical fatigue or cognitive fatigue. The late stage Lyme disease does produce a wide variety of neurocognitive, so those focus, processing, memory, as well as neuropsychiatric. I mean, and the range of psychiatric, again, could be mild anxiety, ADD-like symptoms to psychosis. I mean, there's lots of stories, and including clients I've had who've had psychosis from a tick-borne illness. Certainly not as common. I think the confusing part about Lyme disease, just like mercury poisoning or mold infection, is, you know, that there can be this waxing and waning. So I'm feeling better, and then wait a second, I dip. And what we're learning about PANS, PANDAS, autoimmune encephalopathy, Lyme disease, all these infectious disease sources, is that you, you can, again, have this pre-existing conditioning and there just can be a real increase in these symptoms. It, it, again, when somebody has like a sudden onset, so I had a client recently, a woman who had sudden onset OCD within two, two weeks of uh, a tick-borne, you know, a bite that she was treated for that resolved the fever and the pain, the aches, but unfortunately they weren't treated long enough with antibiotics. And so as soon as the antibiotics stopped, even though they felt great physically, they had a sudden onset OCD. And the person, the woman had had a prior history many, many years ago 
of some OCD as a teenager. And so they were confused. Did this OCD just turn on? Well, you know, really didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that they had tick-borne um, illness that caused the OCD. And that absolutely was the case. It was substantiated by lab work, as, but it's not required for clinical diagnosis. And they were treated with antibiotics. And within less than a week, they were, their symptoms were resolved. Which and they and they did some brain-based therapies in our office. We'll talk about that. But you know, this is pretty common around here, um, and that's the confusion, Joyce. You know, with these kind of symptoms. But you know, I always try to tell everybody, whether it's a parent I'm working with or an adult, you know, empower yourself, right? I mean, that's what you're talking to all your listeners about is. Right you know, you have to look beyond what traditional allopathic medicine is telling you. Why? They don't have the training. Right. Exactly. They don't know. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying I'm not making a blanket statement for every single physician in the world, because there's some amazing people and they do a lot of work to become a physician, but you have to start looking outside of the American medical system for most, you know, the way we do things, because we're not holistic. We're not looking at all the pieces. Right. And, you know, the average person with Lyme disease, average, sees five to seven physicians before they're diagnosed. That is unacceptable. I and agree. a leading cause of why people have late stage Lyme, because they're, they're sometimes taking years, years to get a diagnosis. But it's pretty obvious with even just clinical history. You know, there's certain signs, there's a common, uh, Bartonella is a bacteria that causes a lot of psychiatric problems for people. It loves to get inside the brain and, and cause anything from rage to anxiety, depression. Well, the good news about Bartonella is that many people, not all, and I want to be clear about that, who have Bartonella have stretch marks unknown stretch marks, stretch marks of unknown origin, I should say, they're called striations and they look like stretch marks. And if you looked, Googled, you know, this, I love Google, you know, use, use the internet, be cautious, but use the internet, but Google Bartonella stretch marks and what clients will come to me and they will have these stretch marks with clear psychiatric history. Well, anybody who has Bartonella stretch marks needs testing for Lyme disease. This should be a standard in medical care, yet most physicians have never heard of this. So, um, you know, we're working really hard to try to get the message out to people. I try to do that, you know, in a lot of different ways. I'm trying to get it out to mental health professionals. So, you know, this, this is a, a complexity. It doesn't matter what your diagnosis is. You really got to look for the root cause. And often a naturopath or an integrative physician or a chiropractor who does functional medicine, that's the way to go. Yeah, uh, we know somebody that, um, a young woman who had gotten bit by a tick and they actually had the tick and she got the, the bullseye. And they took her to the doctor and they wouldn't even diagnose her. And like you were talking yeah. about years, it was like probably five, six years later that her mom was able to find a doctor that actually would diagnose her. Wow. What are the complications with late-term Lyme? Well, you know, the complexity of, of late-stage Lyme is that, again, that bacteria had, goes into three forms, right? So it has a spirochete, 
Um, it hides inside the cell and it has a cyst form. And those are really invasive little buggers and they hunker down. And once they're in there, it's very, very hard to get them out. And some people respond to antibiotics, right? Some people respond to herbals, but you always have to do work with a holistic physician or a naturopath, whatever you want to call them, to look at what nutrients you're missing, address any other irritants in the body like food allergies. Because when once you get a lot of inflammation, everything can go offline. You all of a sudden can be allergic to wheat, for example, or something you weren't before, and it causes problems in the system. And then you want to support detoxification. And really, that's only being done. There are some functional medicine MDs and DOs that are doing that work. But the way late stage Lyme looks like for most people is sort of this gradual decline over time. Most people don't get it and then fall off a cliff. Most people, it's like, I was bit by a tick. Sometimes they're getting two weeks of antibiotics, which is not enough to be to kill. A spirochete takes 28 days to cycle, so you need 30 days. And I do want to be really clear that I support any type of treatment that people feel like are effective. There's pros and cons to everything. And there are herbal um, antimicrobials that are research proven. At, you can look up Dr. Eva Sappy her she's done a lot of work for independent lab work for a company called Nutramedics who makes antimicrobials she's at a university in New Haven and there are antimicrobials that are as effective as the the antibiotics traditional antibiotics like doxycycline or whatever else people are on and so most people have this sort of gradual decline Joyce so somebody will come to me and they're like okay I was bitten by a tick I was treated for two weeks or it's bitten by a tick and nothing happened to me. I was fine. And then, you know, six months later, I really started to notice my processing speed had slowed, you know, and I'm having a hard time retrieving words and I'm really tired, you know, and that could be that more gradual and that can build to other things like of down the line months years later can build into an anxiety or depression um there's no everybody looks different and that's the confusion right so when right. we have a disease right exactly so like you know you get cancer this is exactly what happens and we know we we don't even have 100 percent effective cancer treatment but this is how we treat it right with Lyme disease, because there is this unique patterning, which I, I don't think is that unique because now I've worked with thousands of people and you get a pretty clear cut sense when I'm doing an intake, you know, I had a physician call me for his own kid and I could hear him talking to the office manager and I said, give me the phone. And I picked up the phone and I was like, does your kid have stretch marks on him? He couldn't get out of bed for two years. And I said, did your kid have stretch marks on him that you don't know where they're from? Yes. And I said, you need to get into a Lyme specialist immediately. So, of course, that's exactly what they had and, you know, absolutely improved. It was a really tough, tough, you know, was not easy response to treatment and has been long term. That's the other thing that people need to realize is that it didn't happen overnight. Sometimes people takes years before they got diagnosed. It might take years before you really get well. And when I mean well, like, you know, you're operating at 
85% or better, you know? I have people who have late stage Lyme, you know, I have multiple people right now where I'm working with, you know, where they, they have slept every day. They sleep more than 20 hours a day. Right. And that's not, that's not living. No. And, you know, they're all diagnosed with depression, which is, yeah, I mean, they have it, but it's not what's causing it. They all have tick-borne illness. I mean, it's been substantiated. There, there are cases where the thing about the bacteria is some of the bacteria don't show up in the blood for a number of years. And they might, when they're tested through traditional labs and non-traditional, I don't want to say non-traditional, we call them private labs, like Igenix, which is a great lab they might be show up as indeterminate. And indeterminate does not mean that you don't have it. And that's a big um, misnomer or false belief that if it says indeterminate on that lab work, you don't have it. And in fact, it's quite the opposite. It very likely means is that at a certain point, usually 18 months to 24 months later, it will turn up as positive. It's just the way that the testing is, you know, they're constantly improving and learning more about the bacteria. But there's, again, not a lot of funding for, by the government going in and, and supporting, you know. And it's, it's not just Lyme disease that causes these mental health illnesses. It's strep, it's flu, it's Epstein-Barr is a major one that causes serious mental health issues for people. And, and people need to think differently when they're not responding to psychiatric meds or whatever they're doing. They need to start thinking about, wow, you know, hey, I was bitten like three times by a tech and, you know, or whatever, or I had mono and I've never been the same since, you know, that happens all the time. People come in here and, and I'm like, well, when did this all start? And they're like, well, I'm not really sure. And then, you know, you timeline it and you're like, oh, I had the mono and I had the flu. And that's really when it started two and a half years ago. I'm like, oh, Okay. Do we think there's a connection? <laughs> you know, so I'm very fortunate. I do QEG brain maps, Joyce, and a QEG is a way where people come in and they put a cap on, measures a surface, and it's very, but it's a very easy process that you typically takes less than a half an hour. And from when I measure the surface electrical activity, I can see patterns in the brain. So if somebody has too many slow brain waves and not enough fast brain waves, that's very commonly associated with a focus problem or maybe even ADD, depends on their level. And so when people have infectious disease, if it's very active, you see a tremendous amount of brain inflammation. And if it's long-term chronic, what you might see is a lot of low activity in areas that correspond to the neuropsych or neurocognitive symptoms that they're showing. So it's a nice tool for me to say, hey, you know, have you had a head injury or, or talk to me about this infectious disease you have? And it opens up dialogue in ways that people may not make connections to certain things. It's very common for me to do a brain map and, and say to somebody, you know, you've had a head injury. And they're like, no, I didn't. <laughs> and I tell a story uh, recently, I had somebody that they swore they didn't have a head injury I mean, up and down. And I said, there is no way you didn't have a head injury. And uh, the wife says, yeah, you did. You fell out of a fifth story window. <laughs> so he didn't, he didn't hit his head. So he didn't think he had a head injury. But guess what? You fall out of a fifth story window. You're going to damage your head because <laughs> of the impact on your body. Right. So, you know, so it's, it's not easy to, to identify, you know, the light, late stage Lyme. I mean, many people in, in areas 
in these top 14 states or even other states, right? So people fly into me from all over to meet with me and especially, you know, kids. I work with a lot of kids, but I work with all ages because they can't find somebody in their area. And what I always try to say to people, there's two great ways to find people. One, there are in most states, there are Facebook groups, either by region or by your state of groups for either run by nonprofit organizations. We, we have a bunch in our region for people. And then there are patient groups where people you can join and get information. And it's a great way to find appropriate therapists. And for the other group, the professional groups, you often can contact them and get a referral. And they, they only have, you know, Lyme, you know, infectious disease, PANS, PANDAS, literate physicians. And really, wait, you waste your time going to somebody who's not an expert in that area. It just delays treatment. And the longer you delay treatment, the more likely that disease is to get into different areas of the brain and body and cause problems. So it's important to try to get treatment as quickly as you can. We'll be right back with Joyce Wheeler and It's Your Life. out your heavenly body with heavenly body skincare products heavenly body's products are created to feed and nourish the skin they formulate their products in small batches for both quality and freshness heavenly body's products are cruelty free contain certified organic ingredients and are cost effective to bring out the heavenly body in you visit their website at hborganicskincare.com We're back with Joyce Wheeler, and it's your life. So, so Dr. Roseanne, how many people do you think are not diagnosed, have no diagnosis at all for what's going on, and how many are misdiagnosed and actually have Lyme? And after that, I'd like for you to go into more about PANS and PANDAS and explain what that is for our listening audience, please. Yeah, so... You know, all I can say is the people that come here, right? So do I think everybody has infectious disease or Lyme disease? I don't. But what I can tell you is, you know, I've been doing this for 28 years, and I can say that there has definitely been a vast increase in people coming in, and I'm thinking, oh, this is just a straight case of anxiety disorder. You know, they talk about the kid being anxious in second grade, and now they're 29, but more and more, what I'm seeing is a lot of brain inflammation, which indicates that there is a, another cause. This isn't just biochemical or genetic inheritance. There, there's something else going on. And, and I'm seeing all this disruption in brainwave patterning because, you know, there's a lot of factors. People are not sleeping enough. They're accepting the culture of stress. And that's children, families, adults, that's everybody, and more so in different regions in the country. I feel like, you know, we're in the Northeast, like everybody just is snapping their fingers and wants everything yesterday. And there's a lot of intensity here. But since I work with people from all over, you know, really the world, but U.S., I know that's the case everywhere, but it's degrees of it, right? 
and people are nutrient deficient. They're not getting the right quality of food. American food is terrible. Yep. So more and more people are coming in with infectious disease. Now, with that being said, I often, you know, because I'm a rare psychologist who does this root cause work, I mean, not many psychologists do that. What is happening is most people are coming into me with misdiagnoses or misbeliefs, right? So, you know, I had somebody come in and they were like, I have ADD. And they just didn't meet the clinical pattern. You know, I was like, well, when do you think it started? And they were like, oh, after my last baby. And I was like, well, talk to me, you know, and they had postpartum depression and they had all these things and it never really resolved, right? So they had had a hormone imbalance and they struggled for the last 10 years with focus, but they were didn't have any background in their educational history that would look at that. So, so what did they need to do? They needed to go to an integrative physician who could help restore those hormones were doing brain-based therapies with this person to get their nervous system aligned and working better. But I think people, people, I think every case of that's walking into my office, whether it's Lyme, pants, pandas, infectious disease, it doesn't matter what it is and you have straight ADD or OCD or whatever, you need to look at physical things. There's always contributors. There's always irritants that things that are bothering the system, whether you have eczema, or um, food allergies and asthma, those are irritants. Something is irritating your system and then deficiencies, right? So everybody, whether you have mercury poisoning or mold toxicity, Lyme, you're gonna have nutrient deficiencies, whether it's the disease robbing those nutrients, right? Or you already have genetic issues, right? Or, Or mutations that are impacting your nutrient levels to fight that disease, it doesn't matter, you've got to address those. So more and more people are coming in with physical causes. I mean, you know, it's pretty rare where somebody comes in here and they're like, I have anxiety disorder. And I'm looking at their brain map because a brain map can tell me a lot about physical health. And I'm like, you look pretty darn healthy. And they're like, yeah, well, I eat organic and I don't have wheat and I exercise every day and I sleep. And I'm like, okay, so this is good old genetic ADHD or, you know, whatever, uh, anxiety disorder. And we work with it that way. But that's not my common thing anymore, you know. And I live in a health conscious area of the country. And many people who come to me are already health oriented. And I think your other question was about pans, pandas. Yes. Can you explain the sure. uh, acroni- the acronyms of those and yeah. what so, what those issues entail as far as what parents can look for? And if yeah. is it more common in children or common in both children and adults? So let me, that's a great question. Thank you. So, so our, you know, epidemic answers book, Brain Under Attack, you can buy it on Amazon and it's 100% of the pro- proceeds go to the nonprofit. So you're doing some good. And if anybody has children, Epidemic Answers is a wonderful website that has lots of information about, you know, the physical and mental health of children, lots of research. I'm all about research. So PANS is an acronym that stands for Pediatric Acute Onset Neuropsychiatric Syndrome. And PANDAS is Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorder Associated with Strep Infections. So PANDAS right? A little bit longer with as strep and pans is a variety of infections, including Lyme, tick-borne illness. It's also environmental toxins like mold. 
So, so what happens in pans, pandas? And now we call it pediatric, but we're changing our viewpoint in that. So I mentioned to you an adult that had a sudden onset of OCD. That's really pans, but I can't, you know, they're, they're, they're outside of that um, age range, right? We're saying pediatric, but it's acute onset of a neurocognitive or a neuropsychiatric condition or symptom, okay? So now, with that being said, some people literally wake up one day, totally normal kid, totally normal, you know, playing, going to school, no major concerns, and wake up the next day and might have OCD or might be full of rage or just a variety of things that could happen with sudden onset, psychosis, just really extreme things. More and more, we're understanding that's not what's typical. What's happening is there's some what we call soft signs. Somebody might have asthma or food allergies or elimination problems. Like a lot of kids these days, they poop like once a week. That is not acceptable. Your body is full of toxins. You can be pooping twice a day. I that's mean, that's crazy. What, crazy. I don't can't believe somebody can live like that. Right. So exactly. If you're not eliminating, you are it's backing up into your body and brain. Just remember that people like you need to poop at least once a day, twice a day to me is the minimum. But so so you can have these soft signs, a little anxiety. You could be dyslexic. You could already have autism. You could have already have ADHD. And then there's some infectious disease component because what happens in pans in pandas is it's a misdirected immune response. The body all of a sudden starts attacking itself, right? Some invasive agent comes in, whether it's bacteria or viral or environmental, and the body's like, hey, we got to get this out of here. And it goes into overdrive. And when you are attacking something like a cold or whatever it is, just a normal person whose body has a normal immune response, you produce inflammation, right? But what happens in pans and pandas is it doesn't turn off. It just keeps attacking itself. And this inflammation in the brain in particular, and that's what I say when I do these QBGs, you can see all this brain inflammation you can get a variety of neuropsychiatric symptoms. And with Lyme disease, pans, pandas, some of it has to do with what's already your genetic imprint, right? Like you might have an exacerbation of ADHD or you might show focus problems and you didn't have them before, but there's sort of like a family history of it, those kind of things. You also can show nothing that's related to anything that's ever been in your history or any of your family history and could be completely different. So there can be this sort of soft signs with a gentle waxing and waning and then an exacerbation. So I have a little OCD, but then it goes to level 10 and it can't get you down from level 10. Or I can get you to level eight, it's totally high and it's just not, you know, not coming down. So then you also can have, like I had mentioned earlier, totally normal and then a sudden onset overnight. The key to pans pandas is there has to be a shift an exacerbation in one of these symptoms. And the most common are anxiety, OCD, uh, anger, rage, aggression, and then neurocognitive focus. A regression in handwriting is a big symptom that we often see with pans and pandas or regression in math skills. You can have a regression in any area. They can exhibit sleep problems. It's quite frightening for the parents, especially 
when they are a typical kid and they go to the doctor and they're like, what the heck just happened to my kid? It's really, really scary. And then what do the people do is they say, oh, it sounds like they have OCD. And they send them to therapists who know nothing about pans and pandas. So we wanted this book to educate parents as well as, you know, other professionals. And I'm working on another book just for at a higher level, more for professionals because they, they need some support. They need some guidance. But it, the pans, pandas parents are amazing because they really have organized themselves. And because for many kids, it's a sudden onset and it's so scary, they are just not accepting what traditional allopathic medicine is saying. And they're like, bull donkeys, something is wrong with my kid. It's physical and I'm going to get treatment for it. And depending on the source, whether it's strep, whether it's a a virus like Epstein-Barr or Lyme disease, your treatment is different. And, you know, how we support people with PANS, PANDAS, infectious diseases, one, I try to connect you with an appropriate medical person if you're not already working with somebody. I teach you about the foundation for healing, which is the same for every disease doesn't matter what it is, but it's essential for infectious disease. And that's, you know, the, the platform for healing is sleep, addressing your genetic mutations and nutrient deficiencies, it's detoxification, it's eating impeccably. And that means no wheat and no dairy, because those are, especially American wheat is very poor food quality and has um, glyphosate, which is cancer causing and um, but oh, you have also, uh, also it's a hormone disruptor, oh, a hormone disruptor. Absolutely. So it's going to prevent healing and mm-hmm. not that I want to be the food police, but if you want to heal, you have to reduce your inflammatory food agents. I mean, you have right. to do that, everything you can. That right? includes sugar too. Oh, sugar too. So I don't prescribe to a diet because everybody is so bio, bio individual. I just right. say anti-inflammatory. That's exactly what you just said, Joyce. That's reduced or to me eliminated sugar, wheat, dairy, increased Mm -hmm. healthy fat. That's critical. And um, good protein, consistent protein, not going more than three, four hours is the max. You should go. You want to keep your your, um, hormone levels. You want to keep your glucose levels nice and steady. And protein is very helpful for that. And then you need to get your nutrients in. And where do you get nutrients from more than anything? Fruits and vegetables. So it's it's changing the way you eat. It makes a difference. You'll feel fantastic. I mean, this is the way that I have been eating for a very long time. Yes, us too. Oh, your brain works so better, so much better. And it helps with detoxification. So the other foundation point of healing is where I come in. We do... It's stress management. And people think about self-care and stress management. If it's you for an adult, right, it's self-care. If it's stress management alone, it could be you as an adult. But certainly you need to give that to your child, whatever their age is. And we use brain-based therapies to support the nervous system to regulate. Because what we know about healing is if your body is in a stress state, it cannot heal. Right. So if your nervous system is dysregulated, which I can see on a QEG brain map, but I can hear it, right? I don't even need one. If you're in a stress state and that can come from normal stressors, right? But in a case of infectious disease, you have an agent causing stress to the nervous system. If you don't practice daily, use daily tools to get your nervous system regulated, you're not going to be able to heal. 
it is so critical for healing, I can't even tell you. So we, you know, obviously people with coming to us with clinical issues, but sometimes I have people who just don't have clinical issues and want to manage their stress, like athletes and executives, right? Really cool stuff. I wish I had more of that, but I, everybody who comes to me, I feel honored that they come to me and I'm helping them on their healing journey. But the majority of people have clinical issues. So we use tools like neurofeedback, biofeedback, PMF, meditation, meditation and biofeedback are things that people can do on their own every day. Yoga is another way to get the nervous system aligned. EFT tapping is another tool. There's a lot of tools that people can use with no cost or low cost. But, and that's really important people to realize that. So, you know, high intensity aerobics is not a way to regulate the nervous system. It's awesome for you, (laughs) but you have to have mindfulness-based activities that get the central nervous system to, you know, regulate enough where healing can occur. Because if you're constantly functioning at level 10, right, one natural stressor, you know, the jerk who cuts you off on the highway, get your whole nervous system to shut down. And you literally, your body physiologically can't address healing in the right way. So I feel very blessed to be able to use these very research-based and highly effective tools to support people in getting their nervous system and getting some symptom relief pretty quickly, way more quickly than any medication can do. And, and really to help push them along on their overall healing journey is pretty exciting. And there are neurofeedback practitioners all over the world. You can find a certified neurofeedback practitioner on the board uh, certifying board website, which is bcia.org. And everybody who's listed there is certified. I'm not saying that they have to be certified, but it's the best place to start because it means, like myself, I'm certified that we've met certain criteria and we're being monitored by, you know, the organization that monitors providers. But you can also Google and find people in your area. It's a wonderful tool. Neurofeedback works in reinforcing the subconscious for changing its own brainwaves to get it to self-regulate. And it's done through this very simple process of you're hooked to a computer and the computer measures and reinforces whenever you change your brain waves. Just think about it like working out. You're going to the gym half an hour, twice a week is typically what people do in neurofeedback. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, but typically it's at least twice a week because we wanna reinforce the brain. You come in, you produce a healthy combination of brain waves, which happens in two to three seconds of the first time you're hooked up and the brain sustains that rhythm and over time it learns gradually to be in that rhythm over time and and keep that going long after you stopped and the research supports that it is a learned response that you know six months one year three year and ten years later that people sustain those changes which is pretty cool so it's a wonderful treatment it feels good it's easy to participate in because the subconscious is what learns and for people who have any mental health issue whether it's from infectious disease or not you know i treat anxiety and depression every day and so people need to start thinking about other therapies that are natural but also very research based and, you know, for anybody who's wondering why they've never heard about neurofeedback, it's because like big pharma has blocked us and that's a whole other podcast, but they don't want something that's really effective and lasts. 
right. as a tool. And it's just the right. way. It's the same thing with I'm very, very supportive of herbs and homeopathy and supplements. You know, the the changes in the last 10 years, I mean, some of these supplements, I mean, they're just amazing, way more effective than medications with no side effects. People need to be aware and start thinking differently about taking control of their own mental health. I totally agree, Dr. Uh, Dr. Roseanne. You were talking about the body and it attacking itself, mm -hmm. which which is what they're calling these days an autoimmune Correct. issue. Correct. Also, you were talking about um, like antibiotics and some other things and uh, lifestyle changes. And so I'm looking at the gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. You know, when it comes to that too, and now and that's something people don't know about. Sure. Can you? touch a little bit on the gut microbiome sure. and how important it is. And then yeah. one more thing I wanted to say yeah. too, when you were talking about stress, stress is another contributor to inflammation. Oh, uh, 100%. Thank you for saying that, Joyce. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it is absolutely a contributor to inflammation. I mean, stress is like the worst thing yes. you can do Big for time. your body. You are better off having a Big Mac every day. No offense. No, than, no. <laughs> no, but not that that's healthy because that, but People, the chronic, we're living in a chronic stress state. Some of it's because of bad food and right. exposure to plastics, all this kind of stuff. But people are accepting a culture of stress, right? And, you know, Europe doesn't live in the same way. They eat better. They are much more social, which really helps monitor your stress levels. There's much more of a sense of community. And not to say there aren't communities in America, because there are, but we're moving away from that. But in Europe, you know, people tend to live closer together and it's just, a, it's a different way. And they also have a lot of vacation, you know, they pay a lot of taxes in Europe and they, they just have a different sense about everything related to wellness and family. And also in countries with socialized medicine, which there's quite a few in Europe, they do things that are cost effective. So, um, you know, like in England, for example, they'll do things, they'll recommend that you go to a reflexologist or an aromatherapist before you get into a specialist. And most of the time it resolves there because of stress. So the microbiome joint. So it's a big, it, you know, in the last 10 years, we really have had this deeper understanding of the importance of the gut. In our book, we talk about the gut too and how important it is for healing. And there is as much electrical, almost as much electrical activity in the gut as there is in the brain, right? So there used to be these cells in there that we thought, you know, just had to do with digesting food. It's not the case. And there is a connection between the gut and the brain called the vagus nerve. And there is a flow and, you know, we, we have our, there's a lot of systems involved. I, I obviously the work that I do impacts the whole body, right? But one of the things we do is we align the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system so that it's in balance so that systems can relax, right? So not just your brain function, but your physical body can relax. And that's really important. And, you know, when I talk about antibiotics for infectious disease, you know, we have to use all of our armory here, every tool we possibly can with Lyme disease and tick-borne illness. We cannot make a blanket, a blanket statement that antibiotics are horrible. Now, the risk with using long-term antibiotics is to disrupt the microbiome. You working with a natural doctor or a Lyme specialist, combat it with hardcore gut support. So not just 
probiotics, but products like Restore and enzymes, things that really get the gut back online. Some people respond just as well to antimicrobial herbs, which don't disrupt the microbiome as much. So that's a unique decision. And, you know, this is just for informational purposes. You really need to go to a specialist because everybody is so unique and might be able to tolerate or benefit from an antibiotic. And, and there's no way I'm going to fault somebody for that. They, you know, when you, when you're hurting from Lyme disease, you, you know, bring out the big guns, do whatever you got to do and be grateful that it helps you because some of my clients are not treat or don't respond to treatments or they're coming to me, not ever responding to an antibiotic or an antimicrobial. Typically it's because their detoxification pathways are so bad, they have to go back and do hardcore detoxification work. And these things, you know, disrupt. So our microbiome, our gut is as important as our brain and there is an interrelationship between the two. And, And that's why food and stress and all those things to support you know, to to get our body and our brain working together is so important for mental health and healing in general. Yeah. And, you know, you you had talked about different ways that people can deal with stress, like with meditation Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. yoga, you know, and that's so good for the body. And the thing with meditation is you only need seven minutes. Yeah. Yep. Seven seven minutes is all you need. And I, I, there are some apps on the phone Mm-hmm. that you can use and will actually give you, and I don't know what they are because I don't use I, my phone. I know. For... So one is Insight Timer. That's the one I use. There's Calm. There's Headspace. Insight Timer is free and Calm is too. And, you know, what the research, so I always try to talk about research, but one, what the research shows us is that as little as 10 minutes a day for 40 straight days, it's got to be 40 straight days, it's really critical, of meditation changes brainwave functioning. So it produces lasting changes in the brain. And these apps are fantastic. And what people say no to meditation because they think they have to do the quiet meditation, I want everybody to know that Dr. Roseanne doesn't even do the quiet meditation because then she starts thinking about her list of things she's got to do. I do what's called progressive meditation and it's there on Insight Timer. It's listening to a voice where people take you down and, and give you progressive relaxation techniques. So they'll focus on breathing or tightening and releasing your body. And there's meditations that are seven minutes, five minutes. There's meditations that are 35 minutes. I do sleep meditations where I have it next to me and I listen to it and I just go into a sleep. You're not fully asleep for about 25 minutes. So even if you fall asleep in two minutes, your brain is actually still getting the meditation benefit. And you're not only going to feel relaxed, you actually will feel such an improvement in your cognitive functioning. Right, Joyce, are you a regular meditator? I try to be, you know, I'm, I'm not, but one thing I I have been doing a lot more lately is Qigong. Oh, Qigong is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I I love Qigong and I, I, I do see, but I like to get into deep meditation. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and like what you're talking about, it's called guided, they call them guided meditations. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've got a lot of what I do is on YouTube. Oh, okay. So then, yeah. There's ones on YouTube too. And, uh, and you can you find know, tons for any, any issue yeah, you're dealing any with. any issue. A- absolutely. And, you know, the thing is people need to realize that it's the daily practice. People have to practice this stuff. You can't just punch in for one minute, you know, go to a massage. I go get a massage like every two to four weeks. 
if I just did that, that's not enough. I do something every day for myself, sometimes multiple things for myself in a day. And, and that's important, you know, and, and you got to take care of yourself. And especially when you have a mental health issue. But I mean, I, I had a, I had somebody stop heroin with transcendental meditation. Now, that's not typical. <laughs> and that's that bio-individual person. And, you know, they realized what their root cause was of their heroin use, which was, say, social anxiety, and then sought out therapy. And we did a lot of brain-based therapy and cognitive therapy and, you know, has done phenomenal. But, you know, that worked for that person. But anybody, I mean, I do meditation. I have people doing the meditation apps with three- and four-year-olds. Oh, yeah. I think that we really need to get the kids because... You know, our society is so stressed. And if mom and dad are stressed, the kids are stressed. Right. And the kids the kids get stressed too. And I've been talking a lot about stress on with uh, podcasts. I've been on some Facebook Live. And that's one way that I talk about dealing with it is incorporate the kids. If you're dealing with stress in a healthy way, then the kids learn to deal with stress in a healthy way. Couldn't be better said, Joy. Absolutely. We've got to be a role model for them. Exactly. And it's not easy. It's not easy. So, you know, give yourself love because it's not easy. But when you take care of yourself, it's easier to manage stress, but it also is pretty enjoyable. Like my kids, we, you know, like we'll meditate together. I'm like, we're all meditating, you know, and, and even the teenager rolls his eyes, but does it. So, you know, (laughs) you know, it's important for self-care and it's important to get our bodies and brains working better so that whether you have a clinical issue or not, these type of things are amazing, really, really helpful. Yes, they are. Dr. Roseanne, we are at the top of the hour right now. Time has flown by. Yep. Thank, thank you so much for being on the show. If you could please give our listeners any contact information that you, how they can get in contact with you, that would be awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, big core belief is promoting natural living. And it's wonderful that you're doing that. And people are taking those steps to do that. So the best way to get a hold of me, you know, I'm on a lot of social media platforms, but our website is drrosean.com. So www.drrosean.com. And, you know, we have information there. You can send emails through there, but I'm on Facebook. So you can just find me, Dr. Roseanne. I should come come up on Facebook. I'm on Twitter as Dr. Roseanne. Where else am I? Instagram, follow me. And I really try to put a lot of good information out on Facebook so that people, you know, sharing research and just information across broad spectrum about natural healing. So it's really important information that I want people to know about so they can think differently about their own health and mental health. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. Roseanne, for being on. You've been a wealth of information. Thank you. You've been listening to It's Your Life. I've been your host, Joy Sweeter. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your day. This has been a production of Natural Bliss Podcast for a better quality of life.